This is Alan Weitz at the B&H Photography Podcast. And in case you haven't heard, we have been nominated for a 2016 People's Choice Podcast Award in the arts category. In order to win, we need your votes. If you'd be kind enough to take a few moments and go to podcastawards.com and vote for us, we'd greatly appreciate it. And the cool thing is you can vote every single day, once a day through June 12th. Again, go to podcastawards.com, vote for B&H Photography Podcast in the arts category. Thank you. We appreciate it. You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Every year, BNH hosts the Optic Imaging Conference, a four-day event showcasing the best nature landscape and travel photography. The 2016 edition was a stellar outing with presentations from some of the most interesting photographers working in these endeavors. There were also photography excursions, portfolio reviews, and camera repair. Participants had the opportunity to put their hands on the latest cameras, lenses, and gear from all the major manufacturers. We even had a gaggle of drones buzzing about. The Optic Imaging Conference is a wonderful opportunity to embrace photography, interact with incredible photographers, and play with the latest tools of the trade. This year, legends such as Michael Kenna and Paul Capernegro spoke and presented work, and we'll be sharing our conversations with them and other photographers in future episodes. But today, we feature a compilation of our talks with representatives of some of the major camera and lens manufacturers. And while we tried to have them divulge secrets, we had to settle for updates on their newest cameras, lenses, filters, and adapters. John and I also snuck in some chit-chat about the current and future state of the camera industry and a few laughs to boot. Joining us now is Mark Farb of Sigma. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. One of the things I wanted to talk about was the Global Visions uh, program that you have. And what I find interesting about it is that there was always this, this thing that it's a third-party lens, it's not a prime manufacturer lens. But what's interesting now, especially with the, the introduction of the art series lenses recently, a lot of people are now looking at Sigma as it's, it's not made by one of the big manufacturers as far as cameras, but it's equal to the better. prime lenses or better than. And it's interesting how they're taking out a, a Sigma lens and not having to feel apologetic about it and getting amazing pictures. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's there will always be fanboys and girls of a brand. Sure. So no matter how hard you work at, at changing an image or improving the image, mm -hmm. someone wants to knock it down. Right. It's becoming harder and harder to not look at, at Sigma as a brand of, wow, this stuff is really, really good. Mm -hmm. So like you said, it's everybody comes in asking for the art lenses, and they think that everything we make is an art lens. But meanwhile, there are two other categories, contemporary and sport, right. which again, have unstoppable potential, regardless of, of the level that you're shooting at. The sports series, the, the zoom, the telephoto zooms are great. I mean, that's... Well, that's it. When you have, when you have a lens that becomes a, a convertible lens, so to speak, a 120 to 300 f2.8, constant aperture lens, so now you've got range, you're not stuck at 300 millimeters, capable of a minimum focus distance of seven feet. So now you can use it in a portrait situation, you can use it for sports, you can use it for product photography, anything you want. Then add in a 1.4 teleconverter, now you've got a 180 to 420 that competes in, in the other market with the other guys, and 
price point, again, you can't not look at the price point, but the quality-wise, it's, it's off the hook. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the lens just performs. It is incredibly fast, incredibly sharp. Um, I do a decent amount of sport photography and fast action photography. 120 to 300 is an absolute go-to lens for me, period. I, I mean, I can handhold it, even though it is a five and a half pound lens, but nonetheless, it, it's just one of those things that I have to have in my bag, including you know, going to the next level, the 150 to 600 sport. Uh, six and a half pounds, it, it's an absolute tank. Right. And, right. yeah, but the yeah. lens performs where I can get out on an NFL field and shoot a night game and not worry about is it too slow in aperture. Variable aperture on this lens does not slow me down in the least. And the focus systems and the newer camera bodies just makes this thing an absolute monster. Um, and then going the other direction, having the contemporary lens, four and a half pounds, is a hand-holdable lens that I love shooting all afternoon long because that two pounds makes a huge difference how, when how you're carrying How do you describe it. the contemporary? I mean, they're more for the... The prosumer, the the enthusiast, or how do you guys describe the, the contemporary lens? It, it's a it's a tough category to, to describe because the contemporary lens, while it is for the consumer slash prosumer, even a professional enjoys shooting it because it's smaller, compact, and lighter. And flexible, yeah. You know, there Versatile. are days that I just I don't have the wherewithal to carry around the heavier equipment, and it performs. I, I have absolutely no problem whatsoever grabbing one of those lenses and going out and shooting with it. Uh, we were talking before a little bit, and I said about the 18 to 300, uh, a, a brand new lens for us, about a year and a half old. I threw it onto a 7D Mark II and shot for four days straight and just created an incredible body of work for a professional venue. And the guys were just all over the, the images. They couldn't believe I shot that with that lens. And what are, what are the, the latest of the lenses that are out? Wow, you've, you've got, well the, well, the newest of new would be the 50 to 100 F1.8. Mm -hmm. So that's the big brother to the 18 to 35. So great event lens, great concert lens, uh, video. Works really well in the video world. Um, the new 21.4, or relatively new 21.4, fastest 20 millimeter on the market. You've got the, uh, again, the pair of 150 to 600s. The newest thing, though, is the MC-11. Right, we were talking so about that. So this is that, yeah. that converter yeah, that allows exactly. you to go from the Canon mount to the E-mount. And there's another flavor to it as well, because we have the Sigma mount going to the E-mount. So it's a very similar product. So it, it just opens up the door to, uh, right off the top, 22 new products that are not available to the customers any other way. So now they can throw on extreme wide-angle fast lenses as well as long telephotos and even more exotic focal lengths that they're not used to having and just be able to go out and have at it with uh, the mirrorless cameras. I have a question for you. Most, most photographers, most, most people who shoot, they go out with a brand of camera. You're a Canon guy, you're a Sony guy, Nikon, whatever it might be, Pentax. And you have, usually you'll be using, say, that company's lenses and a few others, and you get to feel a difference. You're kind of the opposite. You have a brand of lenses, and you're using them with different types of cameras. That's correct. Is that safe to assume? Do you find that the lenses are different and different brand cameras? Or do you, it, it, I mean, obviously the cameras perform differently, but have you ever had like different experiences saying, this lens really belongs on this particular brand camera? Actually, at this point, no. Uh, they're very consistent across the board. Uh, the manufacturing process, you know, it's a privately held and owned company. It's a family company. Mm -hmm. So everything is done, and even down to the, to the manufacturing of the product is handmade. So there's a very big human process in there. Everything is very consistent. Uh, testing QC is a big deal. Every lens gets tested on the line. Not one in five or one in ten, but every product that comes off the line gets tested as it's going through production. So it makes a big difference in, in what's going on out there. 
Can I so. jump uh, to cameras? Because, uh, of course, I'm a fan of the DP Quattro series. I've been, okay. I've, I, I did a review on those a couple years ago, and ever since then, I, I kind of love them, and, and Foveon Sensor. But what's, uh, what's going to happen with that line? And then I know you guys have a new mirrorless, mirrorless line. So That's actually going to be really interesting, because now if I go to do product photography, I can't wait to work with those new cameras. I know what I've done with the Quattros the, thus far, and also the SD1 Merrill, which is still a current product. The Foveon chip, by the way, is, is one of the secrets to why our lenses are as good as they are. We own Foveon. So the Foveon chip is actually part of this A1 testing machine that we use in the factory, and that's doing the contrast testing. So you've got a 36 megapixel sensor doing all the testing on the line, so every lens is set to the same standard. So again, consistency and it all works. Um, to be quite honest, I'm looking forward to the new cameras and to have the ability to go up to 51 megapixels on a Foveon chip, especially in a studio environment, that's gonna be interesting. I mean, I know what I produce print-wise with them to date. Um, to do, What's know, the uh, specs gonna be on that on those mirrorless in terms of the, the, the megapixels and stuff like that? You know? um, the only one that I really know about is the APS-H size, which would be 51 megapixels. 51, wow. I think the, I think the APS-C is supposed to be 36 or 39. Why did they go with an APS-H, do you know? I don't honestly know that. that. Yeah. It's it's are always surprising me. I mean, there's always <laughs> something going on. <laughs> you know, and again with even even with the current quattros, um, we've done testing um, at, at Rochester Institute of Technology and the seniors actually put up the quattro against a leaf and a phase back and until you started getting 200% enlargements on the images, you couldn't tell the difference. Uh, as a matter of fact, actually, the, the Quattro images were more impressive at 12-bit than, than the 14-bit images. So I'm really intrigued to see, and I'd love, I would love to see a, a full-frame sensor out from Foveon, but I don't think we actually need it. I mean, the way the architecture is on it and the way it works, it, it just works. Well, thank you, Mark. Mark Farb, thank you very much. Mark Farb from Sigma, and thank you for joining us. Thank today. you for having me. Thank you. Next up was Michael Bulbenko from Fujifilm who discussed the latest X-Series cameras and lenses. We're going to be speaking now with Michael Bulbenko, who is the Professional Markets Training Manager with Fujifilm USA. You have a lot of Fuji fans uh, in the B&H uh, staff, I can tell you right now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What kind of things can you tell us about? Anything interesting coming down the pike? Well, that you are what we've got here today is sort of on the newer stuff today okay. and tomorrow, you know, is uh, we have the the new second second version of the X-Pro uh, camera. So we have the X-Pro 2, which came out a couple months ago. Major, major upgrade from the original X-Pro 1. Which was um, a great camera. Which so. was a really great, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it put us, you know, really helped put us on the map totally. originally. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this one's got a much improved viewfinder. It's got uh, 24 megapixels instead of 16. Okay. Uh, dual card slots and it's weather sealed. It's just, it's a major, oh, and it's got the, super radically cool autofocus joystick on the back of it, which is an incredible thing. I think every camera should well, have that. Well, for me, that, what's so. radically cool is the weatherproofing, because the weather yes. to, I mean, we want yeah. to take our cameras everywhere and use them like, you know. Right, and you have a lot of people here used. coming into the show that are here nature-oriented. They've yeah. actually been asking about that and the weather-resistant oh, uh, lenses as oh, well. So. Yeah. The Pro 2 has definitely been doing very, very well. It's very, very cool. Remember, you were um, talking about the X70? The X70. I just you did really a review on the X70. I spent uh, two weeks with the camera, got a lot of wonderful pictures, and I really enjoyed using it. Um, 
I'm a range finder uh, uh, enthusiast and slipping that little finder up at, on the top of the camera, just doing away with the LCD. It was really nice to just walk around with a nice little street camera that I was able to use for a lot of different applications. It was a lot of fun, great little camera. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's basically, it's a, you know, it's a miniature version of the X100, mm -hmm. you know, minus the viewfinder. It was meant to be a backpacker's pocket camera. It's a slightly wider lens than the X100, but it's the same iris shutter inside. Right. So it will do flash sync all the way up to a four thousandth of a second, which is something that people who haven't tried it for fashion or wedding or sports photography is a really cool thing to have. It's interesting. There's a lot of features that we used to look for in like what we quote, quote unquote pro cameras. Uh, and it's amazing how much technology has trickled down to it, especially in a lot of the Fuji cameras. Um, you, you pick them up and you look at what they do and what they're capable of. And if you can't take a good picture with these cameras, you're terrible. It's really, there's no excuse for it. I've been saying that a lot. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything we should be expecting maybe in the next, uh, say, six months that you could sort of hint at? Or do they keep you in the dark, too, about these things? Uh, Tokyo is very, very careful about what information they release. We pretty much find out things just barely just barely ahead of time. So, quite frankly, I mean, whatever you read on Fuji Rumors is basically what we know as well. Uh-huh. So, no, not really. Oh, we're going to pull out my laptop and go right, right you now. Go to Fuji uh, Rumors and whatever <laughs> whatever they say must be the truth because it's on the Internet. So, yeah. And new lenses? What, what do you have to talk about here? Did I miss Well, uh, in particular, no, we didn't yeah. get to the okay. lenses yeah. yet. Actually, we have a really, really fantastic lens. It's a 100 to 400 millimeter lens. Uh, again, weather sealed. Um, that is amazing for the, you know, for the wildlife crowd. What's the uh, aperture on that lens? It is a four, four, it's a four, five, five, six. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. it's effectively a constant five, six. Right. But the thing's got five stops of stabilization built into it. We were, we were playing with it here. You can hand hold that thing in an eighth of a second. Um, and it's, it's phenomenal and it's razor sharp. Can I ask, this is maybe a, a broader question, but are you looking to design lenses that are specifically for the X-Pro series, the X-Pro 2, and then whatever future iterations come, uh, maybe separate than what you're making for the other X-Series cameras, or is it really just something that, obviously they're all going to fit on those cameras, mm -hmm. but... but in terms of professional markets? Uh... I, I think I know what you're asking about. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you what's on the designer's minds mm -hmm. back in Tokyo, mm -hmm. but like the 35 millimeter F2 that we right. came out with right. recently, it has a very, very interesting tapered design mm -hmm. that is definitely ideal for the X-Pro2 because it keeps, it keeps the lens from poking into the view of the optical viewfinder. Okay. Right. Um, I don't know how many more of those things were gonna go down that path or not. Um, it would make sense. Some of the lenses we have that are 1.4s or F2s, mm -hmm. you know, might, might benefit from becoming, you know, a smaller aperture and become a smaller, lighter package. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I don't know that we're specifically gearing any, any lens to any particular camera yeah, body. Yeah, and the right, answer, right, I would say, yeah, is probably not. Yeah. The other thing is I just got a couple of days ago is uh, we now have a 2X teleconverter that oh, just did? hit okay. the market. Right. And that with like with the with the 100-400, I mean, you've basically are carrying around a go. telescope. Mm -hmm. I've shot shots of the moon that are unbelievable. You make out every freaking crater on it. Mm -hmm. It is just, yeah. Right. And what's the compatibility of this lens? Is it with uh, all the teleconverter? Of the yeah, the teleconverter. Is it, is it? That, that only works with the 5140 and with the 100-400. It doesn't ah, okay. work with the other zooms. It only works with those two zooms. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice companion piece. It also, it, 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 it's a way of amplifying how many your focal length choices without adding a whole bunch of weight and mass to your bag. Yeah, they're, they're Traveling, tiny. it's great. Yeah. 
Yep, and they are also weather sealed. They've got the gaskets on there, so they maintain the weather weather sealing. And I assume they carry through the image stabilization as well. Right, right, because okay. that's actually in the lens, so that's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I love the X100 or the 100T now, but mm -hmm. uh, anything on, in that? That's, that's relatively new, though, so... I, I, don't, I don't know if that 100 is going to continue to evolve uh, or not. Yeah. I don't know what would be, I mean, I guess... Maybe a sensor upgrade. Maybe we'll put in the same sensor as in the X-Pro2. Uh, I mean, I can think that'll be the next thing to do. Is that know? a brand new sensor? But the X-Pro2 is actually a new sensor. Okay. It's the, now the third generation of our X-Trans. Okay. That's correct. It's right. 24 megapixels instead of 16. And it's the only camera and that has it in it of, of the X-Series yes, so far? Yes, okay. right. All righty. Michael Bulbenko, Fujifilm. Thank you so much for being with us today. Next up, we welcome Rudy Winston from Canon, who talked about their latest flagship DSLR, the state of Canon's G-Series cameras, and a few thoughts about industry trends. Let me ask the big question now. What can you tell us about the new medium format Canon camera that's coming out shortly? Soon, soon. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm say baiting that, you. <laughs> I, I say that very tongue-in-cheek. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't bet on it anytime soon. <laughs> okay. Well, the, all of that said, I mean, you know, I just go fishing. I'm trying. What, can you, what, what kind of neat things are we coming out with, uh, cameras, lenses, in, say, in the next six months? Well, future product is always a gray area. And as a great man once said, you play with crystal balls, you sometimes end up eating glass. Mm, okay, but, I like that. Uh, um, it's frankly, Japan doesn't really tip their hand even to us in most cases until they're pretty darn close to go. So a lot of what their plans are near term down the road, it's hard for us to really comment on uh, because they just, you know, we like we read the uh, you know the the rumor sites as well, and they're fun to read. Sure, but you know, a lot of times uh, the rumor people don't know any more than we do really. Um, so the short answer is there really isn't anything that we have any information on in terms of unannounced product. But there certainly is, you know, information in terms of just what we've done in the first half of 2016. Okay. Tell us about what's over on the table there. Tell yeah. us about what's new and good. Yeah. Well, you know, at the, at the top of the line, of course, is the new 1DX Mark II. Mm -hmm. uh, just a, a sensational full-frame, high-performance professional camera that it just it ticks all the boxes in terms of what we historically have regarded and wanted in a professional camera. Terrific viewfinder, terrific strength and durability, terrific performance and responsiveness, lack of lag time and that kind of thing. That's always been part of the 1D character, but you know, we've upped the ante with a camera that you know, is we are very sure is going to give us better image quality than we've had before in that category. Uh, still has the great high ISO performance, even better focusing performance, and now with autofocus can shoot up to 14 frames a second. So, you know, for people that are doing, you know, anything from, you know, high-end sports to birds in flight to, uh, you know, fashion photography where, you know, high frame rate capture is important, it's a terrific piece. And even when you're shooting at more sedate rates, you know, if you're shooting weddings or, you know, portraits or whatever, there are a lot of attributes in that camera that really are kind of nice. So... Now that we've gotten to a point where ca camera technology uh, is, is to a point where you could shoot in, in total darkness um, at full-size full files at ridiculous frame rates, and there's very little that we cannot do anymore, uh, where do we go from there? How's the growth go? We're looking at cameras that are essentially doing everything we could ever imagine to. Is the future in glass? I think it's part of it. Mm -hmm. I think beyond that, a large part of it, and I understand, I am not a product planner, I am not an engineer. So, I mean, they may very well be going down these avenues or different avenues, and believe me, I would defer to them on any decisions they make. Uh, they're smarter than me. 
But that's uh, okay. I'm not even a podcast host. He just threw me into the seats. So we're in the same thing. Let's talk. Um. <laughs> but uh, that's very good. But um, no, seriously, um, I, I think that you know, as a, just in a general sense, not even a canon sense, but in a general sense, where do we go as an industry from here? Clearly, you know, there is more pressure on the industry to come up with, you know, smaller products that can still leverage the power of interchangeable lenses. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, one area. And, you know, already, quite frankly, some of our competitors are doing very nice work there. Um, it's up to us to, you know, kind of catch up and move forward in there. And I got no idea what the timetable is, but, you know, clearly that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing is just connectivity. The whole thing about how do people use pictures now? And how can we design cameras that fit more into that? Uh, you know, people that are, you know, used to just picking up a phone. We don't want them picking up a phone to take a picture, at least not to take a, an important picture. But how do we merge the two, get them to play nice so that there isn't like a lengthy setup process to go from camera to phone? How do we, how do we integrate so that, you know, people can still use what you and I call a real camera but that the average person, not a person who's big on Wi-Fi and all that, but just the average person can begin to use these images in the way they want. Now, one of the, I had an interesting conversation with a colleague of mine recently who made the point that really one of the places that as an industry we need to start listening is like kids in junior high school and high school. It's not because they're the ones spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on photo products now. But to a large degree, people like that are the ones that are dictating trends about where things are going. Mm -hmm. Good point. Very good point. Very I, good. Point. I don't want to take credit for it. A colleague of mine said that. <laughs> the 11 to 24 lens, which I shot, was incredible. Is that like the the hot lens from you guys right now, or what are you guys? Uh, that the lens that they're referring to is the EF 11 to 24 millimeter f/4 L series ultra wide zoom for full frame cameras. That lens is otherworldly. Um, if if any of you, you know, in the reach of my voice, have not had that lens in your hands and you ever have the opportunity, which I hope you do, to come to B&H and see their superstore, you've got to put that lens on a camera and try it. It is, if you appreciate ultra-wide angle, it is just otherworldly. And the big thing about that lens isn't just that it's got that 11 millimeter focal length, the widest of any full frame lens in the industry at the moment but that our engineers truly pulled out all the stops in designing it. Uh, the technology that went into that lens to give us that level of linear uh, distortion correction uh, and sharpness all through the lens is just, it is one of the most carefully made lenses we have ever designed. Uh, what's new in point and shoots? Point and shoots, we got the, uh, a solid move into the G series. Now, that's something, this is something that's been ongoing. It's not like a brand new thing. But, you know, where there was a long time where we had one G series model, it sort of stood as a top of the line fixed lens camera for Canon. Uh, over time, we've been pushing that envelope forward. So now we have a family of G series models that if, it, you know, if an SLR is a little bit too big or too rich for the budget, there's a lot of answers in that G series. So is series. there going to be another G, let's say, 17 or the uh, the 1X Mark III, or is that... We don't know. It's don't a, know. That, it, that it, may it, come, though. We know that there's a commitment at this point Seems to like the, G7, the G actually, series yeah. as a whole. And it's taken on different flavors now, from compact cameras that you can pretty much put into a pocket to, you know, cameras with a super zoom. Uh, yeah, so we know that, to the original G3, it's really, it's a lot of growth that's happened. Yeah. Original cameras, sure. Yeah. But it's and it's it's a family now. Yeah. 
So uh, well, I've we, had many members of that family. Yes, I think we all have. <laughs> we know, and we know that there's a there's a commitment among our designers to that family concept. So you know, moving forward, I expect to see more action there. But again, exactly what, when, in what form, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Okay, Rudy Winston, Canon Camera, thank you so much for joining us today. Gentlemen, the pleasure's mine. Always a pleasure to do things for you here at B&H. And again, those of you folks that are listening, I hope you get a chance to come to their store. If you haven't been there, it is impressive. <laughs> thank you. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. We're back with Ken Mitchell, president of LensBaby. And let me point out how cool it is that a president of the company not only attends these trade shows, but takes the time to sit and chat with us rather enthusiastically, I might add. So, LensBaby, a long time ago when I first saw your stuff, I go, okay, this is cute. This will be gone soon. And you guys keep growing and coming out with new products for new formats and new cameras and new innovations and uh, come out with some neat stuff. Um, anything new you might want to talk about? Yeah, well, we're always coming up with something new. We try to introduce products two, three times a year to keep the, the line fresh and keep mm -hmm. people happy with new effects. Um, our latest product that we came out with recently, which we're really excited about, we call the Twist 60. Yep, familiar with it. Yep, yeah. tell us about it. So it's a straight body lens, unlike some of our other lenses that use the optic swap system. For those of you that are familiar, we have a, an optic that can be removed and put into a different body. That's the basis of the Composer series. But in this case, we put that into a straight body so we could have you know a really unusual effect. So the Twist 60 gives a, when it's opened wide open, shot at 2.5, yeah. you'll get a nice spirally kind of uh, effect with a center area of sharp focus. So it's a great portrait lens, um, works great for shooting landscapes. You know, if you want to get in close and have something of a flower, you know, stand out, you know, from the from its background. So it's a really versatile lens. The, the, the point effect, of focus, is, I'm sorry, the point of focus is always in the center though. Yeah, right? yeah. always in the center. It's a pretty large area of focus. And the cool thing about it when you're using it in a portrait type of mode, it almost gives it like a 3D effect where that the subject of your of the, in the center almost pops out. So again, you can use that on a soft, you know, a soft background, or if you use it in a background that has leaves or a consistent pattern with lights, it'll have a really swirly bokeh, and it's reminiscent of the uh, 1840s Petzval lenses yeah. that, mm -hmm. yeah. that, you know, have, have been popular. Thing lately, Petzval, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they name, name a lot they, this they, year. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> well, you know, the Petzval is such an, it was an interesting lens design. Not A lot of people don't know about it. You know, they know it was developed back in the 1840s, but it really was developed because they were trying to come up with a faster lens that because people had to sit there mm -hmm. still sure. right for a minute with neck braces yeah with that. neck braces yes. exactly and so to try to alleviate that you know they went and looked at you know i guess it was done mathematically and they had you know people who were calculating you know the the right dimensions of the of the glass so that gave them a very fast lens but it also had the side effect was this swirly kind of crazy background and um and that's again what the lens was known for mm -hmm. but really was designed just to be a great portrait lens which it is and what mounts, I'm sorry, what mounts are these, uh, is the twist for? Yeah, we, it's only for full frame, and we mm -hmm. have it, so we have it on the Sony mount, uh, Canon, and Nikon. And the reason we recommend it only for full frame is because you lose some of the, uh, the, uh, the swirling effect when, when it, on a crop sensor. Is that the Sony E-mount or A-mount? Yeah, the Sony E-mount. Do you make things for the A-mount? Yeah, we do in you our do. other lenses. You do, okay. Yeah, we make for about seven different 
I guess it was about seven different mounts um, for most of our lenses, but in this particular case, um, because it was on the straight body lens, excuse me, because it was a full frame, we just kept it to those, those three. And is it fair to say that the E-mount is taking, you're developing more for E-mount? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I think we've all seen that. What percentage of the lenses that you have that have come to market were purely by accident or something you stumbled on and say, oh, this is kind of cool. What can we do with this? How can we market this? Does that happen or is, is everything here really planned? No, you know, back in the, probably in the early days, 13 years ago, it was a little bit more of that serendipity, you know, where Craig Strong was, you know, putting lenses and all sorts of objects and then shooting through it to see what would happen. And that is how the original um, Lens Baby product was born. But... You know, we're, we've been around for 14 years, so it is more methodical. We have on-staff people who are um, designers, optic designers, and lens designers. And so we lay out a plan three years in advance and start to execute that plan. So do you know what the effect is that you're going for? Well, it's, it's about breaking the rules. You mentioned that earlier. So we, are, we tend to look at things that are mistakes, things that people look at as maybe aberrations. And we say, well, how can we make that beautiful? So mm -hmm. how can we turn that into something that's yeah, special? How do you control it? Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's becomes where the beauty is. Because when you can control it, it can be a great tool. Of course, nobody wants you know, uh, older images to be out of focus. But if you can have the areas that you want to reduce you know, and bring your attention to a particular spot you know, of your composition, that's what our lenses are for. So it is. It's the ability to control it. But no, we, we, we think about the different kinds of effects. We're imagining right now, we're working on our our uh, 2017 product line, and we're thinking about what other kinds of effects can we do, and we have some interesting ideas, and then we, we breadboard them out there, and we get prototypes made, and yes, I will tell you, there are still surprises. <laughs> when I we hope get to, so. When we get the final product, we're like, huh, we didn't know it was going to do that. Um, <laughs> and that's part of the beauty of it, but, uh, but, but it is quite intentional. And what is the, uh, I guess, what's the bread and butter lens? What, what is your, the most popular lens? I think we're most known for the Composer series. Right. Um, you, yeah. know, you, you had mentioned that right. before. Again, it's, it's been the product that's been out there. We have four different optics that can go inside of it. It has that twist, that tilting effect, which people, you know, become familiar, be able to turn that area that you want to be in focus or out of focus. So it can, we're well known for that. But we introduced the Velvet 56 about a year ago, and... Um, that has really, it's kind of changed the company. I think it helped us also to realize that, you know, we could play with the big boys with yeah. serious lenses that, that aren't perceived. I think you mentioned it, you know, early on as, hey, that's kind of fun and quirky. Um, but these are quite serious lenses. The Velvet in particular is... I, I actually did the, uh, one of the reviews of B&H on it, and uh, I shot with it for a couple of days, and I went into it sort of half-heartedly, I'll admit. And as using it, saying, this is... This has potential. I can use this. I can create things that have interesting effects without appearing gimmicky, which it's easy to do. Yeah, it was it was designed again as a as a portrait lens, but it really that lens is a three in one lens because you can use it for sharp macro work. Yep. You can use it for soft macro work. You can use it as a portrait lens, and the portrait even has two aspects. It has that soft velvety finish, or it can shoot um, very sharp. sharp Tack sharp. Tack sharp. <laughs> Tack sharp. Um, yeah. So anyway, so it's a, it's my, it's my go-to lens. I brought one lens with me in my bag. That was the lens that I brought with me here because it, because it is so versatile. One serious note though is that with the, with the Velvet uh, 56 is that um, one of the things that I found from the time that I spent with, which was really nice, 
I was shooting some video and it was really interesting. You know, people always try to, how do you do segues and fades? And I found it was really lovely. I was shooting going sharp to soft and vice versa. And it was a great way of bringing a scene into focus where it was sort of soft and all of a sudden it just comes mm. into a sharpness from the center out. And it was, it, was, it was really effective and it worked nicely. I really was happy with some of the effects I got with it. It's very smooth too. I think yes. you notice when you're, you know, the, 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 the bearings on that are quite smooth. So you can get a very, very controlled. Um, it was very fluid. Yeah, very, very fluid. fluid. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, we love to see our products using video. We're always looking on uh, TV and you see it quite often, some of the effects on different television shows. I'm not an expert at noticing it, but we have people back at the office. Hey, did you see what? I'm like, uh, yeah. really? That was us? <laughs> where, where's Lens Baby offices? Oh, we're in Portland, Oregon. Did it come out of photography? I mean, was it were there photographers tinkering and deciding to go forward with the yeah, company? I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned that briefly before. Craig Strong, who was the, the originator of it, is a was a professional photographer and was looking for different ways to kind of add something to his photography and literally used a vacuum tube and put a lens in it and... That was the first product. Well, I can say, you know, I, I have a lens baby. I don't use it all the time. Why but, not? It's uh, <laughs> a good question. But I do love when I do use it, and it's great. And the, and I have a couple series that I'm thinking of right now that they wouldn't be the same if I hadn't hadn't incorporated some of that into there, you know. So, yeah, that, that selective yeah, focus is incredible. We, and it's so easy. We so don't easy. pretend that we should be the only lens in your bag, but... I think a lens baby in your bag does that. Exactly, it's a different brush to use and Mm -hmm. to add. And we have a lot of uh, uh, conversations with professional photographers, wedding photographers, and the like. And it'll be interesting to say that say you know they they do all their work, and the one the image that the bride or the groom tends to gravitate towards often is a lens baby. Mm. And I think it's because there's a level of creativity, there's a level of uniqueness, uh, there's a level of emotion that uh, can be put into that. Maybe it was the fun the photographer was having when they were. Taking it, maybe yeah. uh, you know. I yeah. think it could be that. When I say lens baby, it, it, it's almost synonymous with selective focus. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. maybe you're going to want to go away from that, so that when you think lens baby, you just think great lenses. Yeah, right? isn't that? I like I like that thought. Can I use it? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will. We definitely. And I think the velvet was really, you yeah, know, that, kind of like that. That's what I'm the, getting at. The, yeah. The yeah, first yeah, yeah. kind of step in that direction yeah. of. Of you know an overall lens that yes there is a there is an effect to it but it's not it's not a select effect you know we're trying to to look forward and not always look back yeah. you know a lot of the lens designs like you know the, the twist sixty is a looking back um, we're also doing things where we're looking forward and saying like where where can photography go you know where can lenses go in the future what's not being done what is the next element that uh, effect that we can bring in and again we're we have some interesting ideas. You do make uh, adaptable lenses for iPhones, don't you? I yeah, remember we seeing them last year in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we do. There's, um, it's a, we call it the Deluxe Mobile Kit. There's three lenses in it. They, the lenses, the kinds of effects you might expect to of them anyway, where they're a select focus that that you can move without mm-hmm. with throughout the screen by pointing it on your finger uh. on the screen. Um, so it gives you that. And you know, one was kind of a more of a tunnel effect. Another one's more of a sweet spot. And then we have kind of that kaleidoscope effect is the third one. So it's a little, that one's a little bit more fun and playful. Cool. All right. Ken Mitchell, Lens Baby, thank you so much for stopping by. It was my pleasure. Thank Thanks you, so guys. Thanks a lot, Ken. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Next, Amy Klotzman came over from the Sony booth. Amy is not only as likable as can be, but she's a walking encyclopedia of Sony camera products. 
much for having us here. Amy's been uh, uh, angling to be here all day long because she can't wait to tell us about the new Sony medium format camera that they're introducing soon, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing that to everybody just to see what kind of reaction we can yeah. get at. It's wonderful. Okay. Well, I guess it ain't happening. At least I'm not admitting it. Um, anyway. <laughs> it's good Why would Sony here. need to do a medium format camera? They're, they're doing great with everything. <laughs> we're, do, yeah. we're doing a lot of innovation with our <laughs> yeah. cameras lately, so you never know <laughs> no, what we're no, introducing. No, right, right, right. <laughs> oh, no. It's okay. We're all big believers in Sony around here. Um, anyway, uh, anything exciting happening? Anything new, anything new coming out that we should be knowing about the next few months? Because I know summer months is when the things start uh, brewing. We start getting little notices and start getting little rumors. And uh, anything you are at liberty to talk to us about? Nothing that, that I can talk about at this time. I mean, we, we, it's just between us. Uh, it's uh, just us between and, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Ignore that metal yeah. thing in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we've, we've been doing so much in the way of product introductions lately and you know really listening to what the customers are asking for you know we just introduced the rx10 mark three which is a phenomenal one inch sensor camera with an absolutely insane 24 to 600 millimeter zoom so we were talking about that the other day that is an amazing camera yeah i mean we've got that we just introduced our whole new line of g master lenses mm -hmm. um, we have the full a7 family of cameras there's six full frame cameras to choose from we have the a6300 are, are you still producing all of the a7 cameras or have the, yes. the first generation stopped yeah, which, which are the ones that are currently out right now? Because Jason and I were just talking about it a few minutes ago. Uh, so you have the A7 II. We have the A7, the original A7. That is still, okay. Yeah, we have the A7 Mark II, which right. is its big brother, which basically, um, like all the Mark II models in the, the A7 family, add a, adds on five-axis in-body image stabilization. Which works beautifully. Exactly. Yeah, it takes away that little caffeine shake that you mm -hmm. sometimes <laughs> pick up. Um, so we have the, the, a, the original A7 and A7 Mark II, which is... Perfect for just about anybody, whether you're doing video or stills, you're looking for an affordable full-frame camera, but still pretty feature-packed. Uh, we have the A7S and the A7S Mark II, mm -hmm. and S stands for sensitivity. So these are going to be the low-light powerhouse, you know, ISO 409,600, which is an absolutely mind-blowing number to think about. Um, and those are designed for video and for still, so a little more heavily weighted towards the video side of things. Uh, 12 megapixel sensor in there, which does an incredible job of just sucking in all the available light. The low light performance on that camera is amazing. And then if you're leaning a little more towards stills, we have the A7R and the A7R Mark II. And the A7R Mark II is the flagship of our line. Uh, and those, the R stands for resolution. So we're looking at either 42 or 36 megapixel, um, an incredible autofocusing system. You know, the A7R Mark II has... 399 phase detect autofocus points and 25 contrast based. So an extremely, extremely dense autofocusing system. And it's not too shabby under low light either. It's not no. as sensitive as the uh, the S series cameras, which I've owned and used. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm inc equally impressed by what you can get out of. But you're still producing yeah. the A7 and the, the the first generation of all three are still yes. being made. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because we realize not every customer is necessarily looking for 4K, which is one of the big things the Mark II models add on. Uh, in many cases, not every customer needs in-body stabilization. Sometimes you just want a good, affordable camera 
um, you know, with a full frame sensor. So a little something for everybody. And what about going down toward your APS-C? Your, I know the A6300 is very popular. Yes, A6300 has been very yeah. popular yeah. here. Yeah. Um, you know, you're getting the world's fastest autofocusing system in an interchangeable lens camera um, in consumer format. So you're looking at, um, on that one, 429 autofocusing points and phase detect and 169 contrast. I mean, just numbers that, you know, a year or two ago were, were inconceivable. Um, 4K video, you're getting, um, you know, an extremely fast autofocusing system and something it's that's tiny. easily portable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, least, yeah. and we don't necessarily like to always talk about mirrorless as being small mm -hmm. because people think it's small and it's missing out on features, but you're really getting features in the mirrorless cameras you can't get in DSLR or you can't get in traditional formats. Uh, and it just happens to be a lot smaller and lighter, which you know we're finding here. A lot of people are picking it up and say, oh my gosh, it really, mm -hmm. you know, or I'm thinking about changing because, you know, I've got this back pain, the shoulder pain, this, you know, this hand, sure. you know, whatever. And and we're really to the point where you're not giving anything up by going with mirrorless. If nothing else, you're gaining features. I, I know that the technology that you've developed for the electronic viewfind is, is crazy. I, I hated EVFs for the longest time. And then they started getting better and better. And I look through the finder right now. I'm, I have to remind myself sometimes this is not an optical find. It is electronic. Yes. I, I got to ask you a question. If you were to dial back the clock, let's say five years, mm -hmm. when all of this stuff we're talking about was still in the drawing board and you were engineering it and figuring it out. Did you have any idea you were stumbling on something that was going to rock the industry as much as it has? I mean, nobody's denying the fact that you guys have just bowled through the traffic here. I would like to say that I it was kind of in my dreams. It's what I had imagined. You know, I, I've been with Sony 15 years. I did retail before that. I remember selling floppy disk <laughs> Mavica cameras back I had back in the day, oh, yeah. I actually still have one. And and you know, <laughs> oh, you're the one. Like the <laughs> the innovation at that point, like look at what we're doing here. And for a while, the, the innovation from all manufacturers kind of was stagnant. It was like cars in the late '70s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nothing really attractive. It yep. worked, but there mm -hmm. nothing really memorable. But I mean, like I said, I, I I feel that this is where I wanted to be. This level of excitement, but. You know, five years ago, people started getting into cell phones, mm. and you know, was there was that that dread among the industry that people are going to just go to their smartphones and do everything with that. It but was, and, it, and yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, the, you know, the the lower lower price point pieces, the hundred dollar point and shoot, hundred and fifty dollar point and shoot, you know, are almost non-existent at this point. Yeah. You know, if if you would have told me five years ago we'd be selling a thousand dollar CyberShot. And, yeah. you know, it would be yes. selling extremely well. I would have said, you know, you're absolutely what about, crazy. What's going to come of the A-mount, though? Are you guys going to, I mean, is it being forgotten in all the, the fury over the E-mount? It's not being forgotten. We still are introducing new lenses for the A-mount system. Um, it's just with the, the mirror box in the camera, um, there are certain limitations that we we run into. And it's just the laws of physics. We're trying to break them, but, you know... In, Somehow. In, in, you mean in the attempt to be smaller? Is Not just the attempt to be smaller, but to add features onto the camera. You know, with, with a mirror and the way a, a mirrored camera works, the autofocusing system is still somewhat limited as far as being centrally located. And right. that's things we don't have to worry about with a mirrorless system. What was the most recent uh, A-series uh, DSLR? That would have been the A77 Mark II. 
uh, which we introduced now about two years ago. Um, still, a, still a flagship piece um, in that. We still do have the, the A99 is our full frame. Um, translucent mirror SLT camera. Right, right. Um, but, you know, there's just a lot more that we can do with mirrorless mm -hmm. at this point, so. Well, I remember two years ago, I was at a, something like this and looking at the A99 and, and this new flash that you guys had developed for it. And, yeah, and I was like, yeah. this is, I'm, I actually thought about it at that moment. But, you know, you just don't, all the talk is the e-mount now. So, you mm -hmm. know, you, you just can't get, away, can't get away from it. Yeah, but, and, it, you know, you kind of mentioned it a little bit before and that people are looking for smaller and lighter and to a certain degree. Um, so but, Sony keeps telling me. Yeah. <laughs> but you also have, you know, that people don't want to give things up. Like I said, you know, when you say smaller and lighter, people, you know, you tell me that or new and improved, what was wrong with the old system? Why did we need to change it? Well, didn't need to, but there were... But now know, that we have, Yeah, exactly. Happy, right? You yeah. know, there, there's a, a quote I like to mention during trainings, um, you know, hen attributed to Henry Ford. He said, if I asked the people what they'd want, they'd say a faster horse. <laughs> you know, they didn't know about an automobile. They didn't know, you know, the horse has been with us for so many years. It's done a good job. But, you know, in especially this part of the country, who rides a horse to work every day? Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've. And have you checked the price of oats lately? Oh, it's, it's, it's through the roof. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. Yeah, the droughts and everything. It's, and, it's, it's rough. Stables, yeah. I mean, every they're all coming down and being turned into condos now. So. And what about, uh, <laughs> you You mentioned point and shoots. I mean, other than, you know, I guess the, the DX10 Mark III is you know, a point and shoot to some degree, but do you have any new classic point and shoots coming out, real small bodied, pocketable cameras? We um, just a few months ago introduced uh, the HX90, which is a pocket sized camera with a 30 times optical yes. zoom oh, and yes. a yes. built in viewfinder, which is something a lot yeah. of people are asking for yeah. now. And it's, you That's know. That's interesting. People are asking for viewfinders again, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. His, you know, screens for the longest time, did did well and it was what sold the cameras and people didn't want viewfinders but now they realize you know, their arms are hurting you from holding them out straight trying to compose exactly, a picture in bright sunlight exactly yeah. so you know there there is a reason for it and and people are starting to kind of come around it's all cyclical okay amy thank you so much for joining us oh, today thank you so much for having us here we really appreciate it okay thank you Tom Curley from Panasonic then spoke in the latest from the Lumix line. Okay, we are back at Optic 2016, and we are talking with Tom Curley of Panasonic. Could you tell us about some of the new items that we have from Panasonic? You guys got some great stuff, I might add. Sure. Well, we're always introducing new camera models, and um, our latest one is the one I brought with me today. It's uh, part of our G-Series, which is a mirrorless camera. It is the GX85. Uh-huh. And um, it is kind of the kid brother of the GX8, okay. which is a model, a very popular model we introduced last year. Um, the GX85 has some very interesting features for a new camera. And uh, by the way, it is marketed under different names in different parts of the world. In, in Europe, it's the GX8080. Okay. Um, and elsewhere, it's known as other products. But here in the USA, it doesn't matter. Here in the USA, it's uh, the GX85. And um, I, I guess one of the, um, it is an interchangeable lens, mirrorless camera, our G-Series, as I mentioned. So it takes all of our micro four-thirds lenses. So it's a system camera. Yeah, okay. as well. I'm holding it in my hand. It's actually yeah. very lovely. The screen's right. lovely. Lens. Right. It's nice. Com compact system camera. And, and it takes any micro four-thirds system lens, not just the ones that Lumix 
offers, okay. uh, which we offer over two dozen lenses. But there's about 50 lenses on the market available with the native Micro Four Thirds mount. Anyway, uh, the, the feature I wanted to mention is the dual image stabilization. So what that means is it is in-body image stabilized. The sensor itself has stabilization. Yeah. And when I say dual, it will couple with Panasonic Lumix lenses that have what we call optical image stabilization. Right. So you get a dual or double uh, image stabilization effect of the body plus the lens. How many stops are you talking about between the two oh, under, say, like, optimum conditions? It's like ridiculous. Five? It's, okay. Yeah. You can handhold at um, like a half a second. Uh, I've seen one second handheld. It's ridiculous. But um, it's great technology. depends on how steady your arm is. It, 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 how but, many Starbucks you pop before you head out there. But even still, I mean, it does enable you, from my experience, to just handhold it at exposures that would used to yeah, be impossible but here's, to do. Yeah, but here's the difference. This is the first Panasonic Lumix camera uh, with the in-body image stabilization that supports video. So for the first ah, time, we have um, a sensor that stabilizes while shooting video. This is opening up a whole new world of interest among uh, the people that are uh, sharing their experiences with it on the blogs, online, and, and we're seeing examples of video shot. Um, share. I saw one the other day on, on Vimeo, a gentleman uh, out of Paris, and I actually have a dialogue with him. He did some test footage, basically, of street scenes in Seville, Spain. And uh, go, yeah, if, if uh, the listeners want to check it out, just go to Vimeo and I believe it is called Glimpse of Seville, as in Seville, Spain. Mm -hmm. and, and I have a dialogue with this gentleman uh, from Paris. He handheld every shot, uh, and it looks like um, <laughs> he had the camera on a tripod. He, he, did, uh, <laughs> he did say that he did a little bit of warp stabilization in post in Premiere Pro, but still... Um, it, 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 it's a whole new thing. Hey, even yeah. Ansel Adams burned and dodged. Okay, we've got to cut some slack here. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's, that's quite amazing. Uh, I know I've seen some, uh, um, I, I personally don't do a lot of, of video per se, but I know a lot of people that do, and, and the Panasonic cameras always come up in conversation as being terrific machines for using for video capture. Uh, and I've seen some amazing footage come out of these. So really high-level productions. Great for still photography, too, though. Uh, mm -hmm. Street photography. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I slap a 15-millimeter lens on there. We have a beautiful little Leica um, Sumalux lens mm -hmm. made for our, our system. And uh, I love walking around New York City, Chinatown, wherever, with uh, a mirrorless camera like this one here with that 15-millimeter lens on it. And um, It's a perfect street lens on this format. It works very, very, very nice. And it's got a great feel to it, a nice, nice, nice heft to it. And I like this uh, uh, 12 to 32 millimeter lens. I could be pretty happy with this walking around. That's the day. kit lens that comes with it. It looks sure. really nice. Mm -hmm. It folds down nice and short and has a, a nice weight to it. The balance is lovely on it. We almost hate calling it a kit lens because it is a kit lens, but it's... I've, you know, it's really fun. I understand that. I've used more than, more than a few kit lenses right now that I look at the images after the fact and I go, this is good. This is there's, there's nothing to uh, to have to apologize for. Yeah, here. I think all the manufacturers have have shifted towards saying, well, yeah, it, it is a kit lens, but we're going to put something better on there. Yeah, something people are going to be happy with. So, especially uh, with these um, more advanced system cameras, 
that you know they're not necessarily just made for professionals mm -hmm. they're made for photo enthusiasts oh yeah but let's put a better lens on there yep makes yeah. it works for me lenses and lenses are the uh, that, that's that's what takes the picture at the end right. of the day anything else coming out from Panasonic in the next uh, few months that uh, you could you could talk about well, well um, even if you can't talk about it, this is just between us. This isn't going out anywhere. <laughs> of course not. Okay, I promise you, I won't tell anybody. You know, I, I, I like <laughs> to say you look at our whole product line, and, and we've got three categories. We've got point and shoot, very mm -hmm. small, compact cameras that I can literally fit in my shirt pocket. Yeah. Uh, then we've got the um, long zoom or a bridge cameras that look have that DSLR or, or larger camera. Um, the profile and yeah, yeah. form factor, yeah. but the lens is attached to the body, so yes. they're not a point and shoot because uh, of the compactness, but they're not an interchangeable lens camera either. So we have two um, models of, of note in both of those two categories. First on the point and shoot, the ZS100. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're very familiar with that. Oh, nice, nice, nice camera. Yeah, it's got a one-inch sensor. Yep. Yep, major. It's got a touch screen. It has basically all of the features in the menuing and the options 4k photo and the post focus feature that we have with the, on a touchscreen camera with a 10x um, lens 25 to 250 right like a lens attached to it then, and that, that's a nice range to have plus the, the, the one inch sensor on that has such fine image quality even at that point you can crop into it and technically go a little bit further as far as focal length, the way it would appear on your final image, and it still holds up. You could still make a decent-sized print out of it, and on a screen, I mean, it's a no-brainer. So it is, an, it is amazing how much flexibility you could slip into your shirt pocket these days. And then, and then on the long zoom, we have our newest model in that line. Uh, it's a line that's been around for a long time that we call the FZ series. Yes, yes. This yes. is the FC300, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a terrific price. Um, but here's what I like about it. It is weather sealed. It has the touch screen, which is new for the FZ. Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. has a beautiful constant aperture like a lens on it. Uh, 25 all the way out to 600 millimeters. It's just unbelievable what, what we're offering at, at a, a value price like that. And it has uh, all the features, you know, Wi-Fi. Uh, 4K built-in. All right. Anything else you'd like to add to that? Sure. I, I, I um, invite everybody to stop by online at our uh, feature site, lumixlounge.com. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of images and information to share from our, our brand ambassadors, the Lumix Luminary team. I've hit the site. It's great. Thank you so much for joining us it's today. It's a pleasure. It's Thank a great you. Great show. We'll be right back with more from Optic 2016. We'll be talking with Tiffin, Tamron, and Nikon. If you'd like to reach out to us with your questions or comments, email us at podcast at bhphoto.com. Welcome back. We're fortunate to have Michael Cassara, the marketing communications manager from Tiffin, join us to talk about filters. Tiffin's been around forever. It's, it's one of the classic uh, long-term filter manufacturers. And uh, I, I know I've been familiar with you guys for years. What kind of stuff are you coming, coming out with? Anything neat and interesting coming out now? A couple of really cool things coming out in the filter department. Yeah. Um, so Tevin Filters, we're coming out with a what we're calling the Pro 100 holder. So a lot of our guys uh, out there have been clamoring for a you know holder for square filters or yeah, rectangular yeah, yeah. filters. Uh -huh. And everyone has to go to a different filter system. And 
Uh, what Tiffin Filters is, you know, we're known for the color core process. We won Oscars for, you know, our, our motion picture television filters. And all these DSLR users want the ability to adapt 4x4 and 4x5, 6.50 filters to DSLR cameras. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we came up with the Pro 100 holder. Um, it holds two 4-millimeter thick filters to it, uh, which is really nice. It's going to be the first in its class to hold two 4-millimeter thick filters. Most uh, other systems are 2-millimeter thick, so they're thin. Um, they're very brittle, too. Um, our filters are a little more robust. You know, the color core process is a laminate process, so the effect is etched in between two pieces of glass. So that effect will never really fade. Um, you know, it's a 10-year warranty on the filters as well. Um, and it's really great because you can't scratch the effect off. Most you said these are thicker filters. Very thick, yeah. Now, does that uh, now is it safe to assume that you made them thicker without taking away from optical purity? Because that's always been the goal of filter makers: mm. the thinner you make it, the less chance you have for interfering with mm. the light and the uh, image coming through. With you know the motion picture television filters, I mean we've been doing it for over 75 years. I mean these filters are in front of 90 percent of camera lenses in you know television and film it, today. Is it fair to say though there's a uh, a shift? away from still photography and still f cameras is this video in your in the filter world i mean it's still a little bit of both i mean still photographers always have a demand for you know uv protectors and circular polarizers neutral densities especially you know up and coming like long exposure photographers are mm -hmm. they love those 10 stop filters we came out with a line uh, last year called the xle series which is devoted to 10 stop uh, photographers or 10, 10 stop long exposure filters really um but we do see a, a little more of a shift in video. A lot of a lot of videographers coming out, you know, especially with the Sony systems, the Canon systems. Uh, they want to use, you know, polarizers more. They want to use um, grads more. Um, so we're seeing, you know, it's it's always been even, uh, but especially the DSLR market is kind of growing. The screw in sizes are, are really, you know, coming back a little more. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But the uh, square filters you know, and the rectangular filters, our MPTV filters are always, have always been our bread and butter and that's what our business is. So. Um, have you noticed that, uh, I, I, this is my take on it, that filters except for say UV, uh, polarizer and neutral dense like you mentioned too, those are polarizers that cannot be emulated electronically. Uh, a lot of cameras, most every camera this day, you can dial in all kinds of uh, color temperature shifts and color filtration. Um, I was using a camera, I believe it was a Panasonic X70, Recently, not only is there a black and white mode in sepia, but there's black and white with a red filter, black and white with yellow, it, it, all of these, and they work very effectively. I, I would imagine that's also kind of a reason to go to more towards video, which requires filtering up. But do you feel a, a little bit of this backlash from that as being a filter manufacturer and oh, that basically stole a lot of your lunch in a sense? I mean, it's it's really it's evolution. You know, it's it's inevitable inevitable with a, you know filtration and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, you know, I always see that filtration will always be needed in front of the lens. Um, you know, for a long time to come. You know, everyone will always need a protective filter to protect their lens, regardless. Um, you know, I, I personally think if you don't have a good protection filter in front of your lens, you're asking for trouble. So I, I learned that early on. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say that yes, even don't even put a UV for a protective because it takes away from image quality. Does it, I would imagine on a certain level, any filter, the finest filter is gonna take some of it because you're putting something in front of the lens. At the same time, I also freshly remember having a brand new zoom lens that I had bought some years ago, a lens that I had been waiting to buy and I finally got it and less than a week and a half later, I was out shooting and it was on a camera hanging off my side and I turned around and a piece of a fence next to me. There was this barb sticking it, and it went dragging across the front element. I would much rather have trashed a filter than a lens, 
And last year it happened to me again. This time, unfortunately, it was the kind of lens that you couldn't put a filter on, but now I make sure there's a cap on everything <laughs> that I can't put a filter on. So for that very reason alone, I tell people, yeah, are you gonna lose image quality? Maybe you will, but it might just save you a very expensive lens repair. It's totally dependent on what kind of filter you're using, especially a protective filter. I mean, there's hundreds of fil protective filters out there from cheap plastic. Oh, there's garbage uh, yeah. and there's also good quality. It, so. I mean, we have, uh, even just in Tiffin, we have, you know, our basic UV protecting filter, which mm -hmm. is good. You know, it's really meant for the intro photographer looking to just protect their front lens. And, you know, it's, it's a great solution. I personally use digital HT filters, which are a multi-coated line of fil filtration. It's military grade tested, it's water white glass, it's the clearest optical quality. I mean, you could put it on your lens. I don't, I have never noticed a difference. You never see ghosting or flaring or anything like that. Um, Jeff Cable, who is a good friend of mine, who's one of our ambassadors, mm -hmm. um, actually uses digital HT filters. And he was never a filter guy. And he tells me stories, you know, he shoots like the, at the San Jose Sharks games, you know, through the glass. And he's always worried about his lens getting hit with a puck or a stick or something like that. So, he, you know, he approached us and said, you know, do you have a good filter solution that, that I could try out? So we get, sent him a set of digital HTs. Mm -hmm. he's, he says he's never takes them off his lens. He's going to Rio. He's, you know, he has a full set, you know, available. And he's using digital HT filters, you know, the multi-coated protection on there. So, and he's never seen a loss in quality. And I, I mean, I've been looking at his work since he started using uh, digital HD filters and there's no, no shift in image degradation. Degradation, yeah, that's one that's of the words. That's a word, right? Now say <laughs> aluminum. <laughs> I know, it's, it's been a long show. <laughs> now one term you threw out there that I'm familiar with, but some people may not be, and that's white water uh, um, and white water glass. And that does not mean that these are filters for kayaking. Is no. that correct? It's, it's actually water white. So <laughs> water white, yeah, yes. water white glass. So it's it's just a clear optical quality glass. Like um, our basic filters are made with like a, a soda lime glass. Okay, so a basic piece of glass. Whereas water white's a clearer optical quality. So gotcha. it's it's it's, okay. it's a you know more supreme look. Okay. Mm, all, right. all right, Mike. Tiffin Filters, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank okay. you so much. Enjoy the show. KT Leung, who is the national business manager at Tamron USA, stopped by and introduced us to their latest series of lenses. Being joined by KT Leung, who is going to juggle four Tamron lenses. Is that correct? No, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> right. Welcome, KT. Thank you for thank joining you. us. Thank you for having uh, me. Tamron's been around forever. I remember when I first started out, I, I my first real telephoto was a Tamron 300 millimeter f5.6 that I, I dragged around for years. Did a lot of concert photography with it. Towards the end, the rear element was being held in place by black electrical tape, and it still worked beautifully. Wow. I don't recall what happened to it, but I know that uh, I've come a long way since then, and so have Tamron lenses. That was way back. That was way, way back. Trust <laughs> me. It's like, yeah, we, it was daguerreotypes I was shooting with them. Yeah. Um, you have some new lenses here for us, uh, some interesting-looking lenses. You want to tell us about them? Sure. These are our new SP Prime lenses uh -huh. uh, that we just introduced this year. Um, SP stands for Superior Performance or Super Performance Series. Mm -hmm. uh, they're all fixed focal lengths. Um, we decided to make uh, prime lenses uh, because people were asking for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were known for Zoom, so you know, we we finally decided to uh, to listen and bring out prime lenses. What's amazing about them is they were designed to be sharp, wide open. Uh, ah, okay. Most prime lenses, especially fast prime lenses at 1.4, are not really sharp. 
wide open. You it, really it's, have it's to. It's for low light, and you're going to pay the price of it. But we're just giving you the option of shooting it real. But if you want ex sharp, exactly, stop her down. exactly. It was a yep. tease. So <laughs> what we did was we designed lenses uh, that were sharp from edge to edge, and we found that the 1.8 aperture was the ideal aperture, not 1.4, not f2, but 1.8. And we achieved our goal in designing 1.8 lenses that was that was sharp edge to edge. And that was that was the, the design goal for these. Was lenses. it an optical limitation or a size and weight? Because I know, again, the faster you go, the wider the aperture, right. the larger and heavier the lens is. I think it was a combination of all of that. We wanted to design lenses that weren't big and heavy. Uh huh. Um, we wanted lenses that were, you know, carryable, and we wanted lenses that had a fast aperture. And one eight is considerably fast. It's sure. Two thirds of a stop less than one four. Uh, but the difference being our one eight lenses. It's going to be usable wide open. We're not going to have to stop the lens now. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, I, they're large, but they have a nice weight factor to them, and they seem to be made very, very nicely. Something that just struck me, there are four, four lenses here. There's a 35-1.8, an 85-1.8, a 90-millimeter 2.8 macro that goes down to life-size, one-to-one. But what just caught my eye was that rather than a 50 or 55-millimeter as the quote-unquote normal lens, it's a 45 millimeter 1.8. Right. Tell me about that. Well, a, a normal lens is actually a 43 millimeter. Yeah. If you measure the film plane, That's which, correct. which, which, uh, well, today's sensor is not film, but it's the same, similar size. It's 43 millimeters. So, some the, people say 42 and a half, but we're not going to argue. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we designed the lens uh, at 45 because it's actually closer to a real normal lens. So, and and, and normal meaning the way our eyes perceive the. Spatial, diff, uh, uh, spatial, the space between subjects in the frame. It, it looks the way we see. Correct, correct. And what's uh, what's amazing at, with this 45 millimeter lens is that is the close focus feature, mm -hmm. which uh, which is not really talked about a lot. But it focuses down to 11.4 inches, and that's really great for a normal a Most normal lens. Most 50 millimeter lenses are about 18 inches, about a foot and a half. Correct. Or a half a meter, depending. Correct. On how so yeah, so that's, so, that is close. Yeah. Yes. And also, our 35 millimeter lens focuses down to 7.9 inches. That's nice. Which is amazing for a 35 millimeter lens. Nice, nice, nice. So, but the, the main features uh, of, of our new SP Primes is they all have uh, vibration compensation, mm -hmm. which is Tamron's uh, VC system, which is for image stabilization. Uh, they all have fluorine coating, which uh, repels moisture and repels uh, fingerprint uh, and oil smudges. Um, they all have um, EBAN and BBAR coding, which is our uh, multi-coding process, which it gives superior anti-reflection properties. Um, they're all made out of uh, aluminum, so it's lightweight and also very uh, strong. Okay. Right. And they're all also moisture uh, resistant, so they're sealed for moisture and, and weather. That's, that's like the buzzword of the year here yes. so far. And it makes a difference. I mean, to me, it means a lot. Yes. Really, really does. So you can use them out in the field and not worry, you know, worry about them, you know, worry about getting your lenses wet. Um, so they're, they're designed to be tough lenses, you know, professional quality lenses. Interesting, interesting. Really, really nice. What camera mounts are these available? These are all Nikon mounts right okay. now. Okay. But we do offer them in Canon also. Yeah. And uh, Sony, uh, a, uh, I guess, A-series, which is for their SLRs. Got you. Any plans for your E-mount? That's a... Um, that's popular mount these days. Yeah, unfortunately at this time, no, we, we don't have anything in, in, in that mount yet.
All right. Okay. Uh, anything uh, interesting coming down the pike? Are you going to be extending this series of lenses? Yes. Are you taking all, it further? Yes. All of our SP series lenses will visually look like this. Yeah. Um, so all the new SP lenses will have the same uh, look to it. Um, as you can see with all these lenses, uh, there's a what we call the Tamron ring, which is a uh, which is a pretty cool looking ring at the back of the lens mount. It's uh, like a silverish- Brushed aluminum. Color, right. Yes. And that's what distinguishes our lens from our other line of lenses. Got you, okay, all right. No, they have a nice look about them, nice feel about them. I have not put them on the camera, but uh, I'm especially intrigued about that 45 and the 35. Actually, all of them are kind yeah. of neat looking there. And, um, and yeah. with our new lenses also, we came out with the new uh, tap-in console. Uh, which is a mount that mounts to the, the lens itself, and you yeah. can plug it into your computer, yeah. and you can update the firmware. Uh, uh, okay. And also, you can also change certain settings. Like, for instance, on the macro lens, you can actually set the limit of the focus to your liking. So you're not bound by the uh, focus. Uh, the, there is a governor on it. Right, for, for right. Set range. Okay. right. We can also change the, the way the manual focus feel. So you can actually make it a lighter feel. And so it's adjust the resistance, right? On it? Kind of. Yes. That's interesting. It, um, I don't think anybody's ever done that before. Have I they? don't believe so. Yeah. So I, I know, which is yeah, it's pretty neat. And you can also, of course, uh, fix the front focus or back focus if you have those issues on your camera too. Okay, that's good. That's pretty darn. I never thought I'd see the day when you have to plug a lens in to tune it. Yeah. But that's where we are but, right now. You know what? You know when? You know because of the changing cameras that we. Oh, you know, sure, you have we to. We need to update the firmware, and yeah. you know we want to make sure that you know the customer can do it at home versus having to mail it back to Tamron. Oh yeah, now that saves everybody a hassle and a headache for sure. That's great. All right. Well, KT, thank you so much for joining us. Those are Tamron lenses. Have a great show. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for having me. And last but not least, Lindsay Silverman, the Senior Product Manager from Nikon, stopped by for an informative chat on several new Nikon products, as well as photography and cameras in general. It was a great way to wrap up our two days at Optic 2016. We're with Lindsay Silverman of Nikon. And Lindsay is here to tell us all about the new medium format <laughs> Nikon camera that they're going to be announcing in a month. Is that correct? No, it's not. It's Alan. not. Okay. You know, I've been trying to. F I hit everybody. I even, I even hit the filter manufacturers with that question. And, like, no, no one's, no one's, no surprises, folks. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, now that we've gotten all that out of the way, um, thank you for joining You're us. You're welcome. Uh, Nikon's been doing some pretty neat stuff lately. You want to tell us about some of the current products? So, yeah. So, my responsibilities are I'm the product manager for the DSLR line, mm -hmm. which includes Nikkor. Yeah. Our great line of Nikkor lenses and speed lights. So, um, you know, my career goes back over 31 years with the company. So I've seen and been through the film era and been there as we marched headlong into the digital era. But to me, you know, I, and I say this all the time, every time we introduce new cameras, they're always so exciting and they're always so more advanced than what I've seen before. Mm -hmm. And the latest crop of DSLRs that we announced in January were, were no exception, D5, D5 and D500. D500. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, truly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just when I thought you couldn't improve upon D4S and what it could do, you know, the company fools us once again and comes out with uh, some amazing features and technologies that makes you shake your head. But as a photographer, it's great to have this kind of stuff and to know they're always thinking about what else you can do, how you can improve on something that's already really, really good. And, and you know, D5 is one thing. I mean, that's the flagship. So you know you've got a, 
Yes. You've got to put everything you can into the flagship. Yes, yes, yes. It's ISO range up to, the first time I said it, I had to read it several times, up to 3.2 million is kind of astounding. I have astounding. to chuckle every time. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I remember Kodachrome 64. Yeah. I really do. And, and, I, and I think of this, and I, I, I just try to reimagine some of the projects and assignments I used to work to do, and what I'd be able to do these days if I had technology. A D5 is crazy. I mean, I, F3 was my workhorse when I was yeah. shooting commercially. And I look at this camera, and I'm just, I start to laugh. And it's just amazing. It really is amazing. It's funny. You know, I get a lot of questions about, well, that's kind of ridiculous. No one's ever going to use an ISO like that. But you have to take a step back and see who out there is going to really take advantage of these technologies. The, the camera's normal range is 100 to 102,000, right? Right. Um, which is astounding all, all by itself. And the other high ranges are what we call high ranges. High one, high two, high three, high four, high five, up to 3.28 million. So, you know, the image quality, the color fidelity is not what you expect when you shoot in the other ranges. But I'm not the target for that. For that. I shoot, you know, just about everything from portraits to, to uh, uh, sports and action to uh, travel and all that. But think about military. Think about law enforcement. Think about our industrial clients who are shooting in mm -hmm. in less than perfect light. That, that's you know, a great you point. You can't use a that's flash, a that's and, and you know they're not interested yeah. in in image quality. In many cases, some of our customers are interested in identification. Can you ID? You know, a bad guy in the middle of the night under a street corner, you know, making some weird deal going on. That's what they're after, and that's what they want. And so they're thrilled that these cameras can do that. And then I look at a camera like D500, which is just a mere one stop less in all of its ratings, up to 51,000 and up to 1.2 million. D500, and, and, just, and, to, just to clarify, is the APS-C flagship, yeah, if you yeah, call it that, yeah. it's and, the top and of the line And it's astounding. Yeah. But for me, it's, it's everything else that they've improved. I mean, well, you know, from you the ergonomics to the autofocus system to one of my favorite things is the new radio-controlled speed lights, which yes, you yes, know, yes, uh, yes. Nikon has been at the forefront of wireless speed light technology for many years with our line-of-sight system. You guys and, were leading speed lights before yeah. wireless even came in. Yeah. I mean, Nikon speed lights have always been the most dead-on speed yeah, This was a used. natural next step. Yeah. You know, I've been, uh, you know, curious myself because I've been watching the market and how people are buying the, uh, the radio poppers and they've been buying all the different accessories that to do radio. And I've been wondering, when are we, when are we, when are we? And finally we got it. And I got to tell you, um, a little practice. This stuff is so sweet. It works so well. I've got it tamed to one button press on my cameras. I can press a button and it brings up the menu for my wireless, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, it's astounding what the cameras can do. So I'm I'm really really happy for our customers that they're going to get a chance to experience what I've been playing with for the last couple of months. I know it's not quite new, but can you talk a bit about the 300 millimeter lens that uh, the PF? Yeah, yeah. You know, this, this is an interesting technology. That's a phase Fresnel technology. Yeah, and, and yeah. The, the way I try to explain it, because I'm you know what as knowledgeable as I am on lenses and things like that. I, I really had to look yeah. it up myself yeah. when it came to this lens, and it's like I, I equate it to like a lighthouse lens. You see that big lens that's got concentric circles on it, very similar technology Fresnel, yeah. Fresnel, put, yeah. put mm -hmm. into this put into this lens, and it allowed us to make a 300 millimeter lens. When you think about it, as short as the 24 to 72 8. So if you're if you're into your telephoto photography and you want to carry something small and light. This is the lens to go to. And the users, I've been looking online and watching what people have been posting with the lens. And it's really, really quite a, a different look. It's a different look on the, 
those out-of-focus uh, circles of confusion, they do look different because of that phase Fresnel optic in there. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you would have told me two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, that we'd have a 300 millimeter F4, the size, the size of the 2470, let me tell you what's exciting, what's been going on in Nick yeah, Core, because please. I think this That's is, uh, people question. may not realize what's going on. So that 300 F4 PF is an E-series telephoto lens. And people have been asking me, what does this E mean? So E stands for electromagnetic diaphragm control. And if you look in the last year and a half, we've introduced the 16 to 80, 28 to F4 mm -hmm. E, electromagnetic diaphragm, the 200 to 500, uh, and a host of other lenses that have this E, upgrades to the 500 and, and lenses like that. And so now on cameras, it's all beginning to take shape, the master plan from the designers and engineers, a camera like the D500 that can shoot at 10 frames per second. A camera like the D5, the D4S, which shoot at upwards of 11, 12, 14 frames per second. Now you've got a diaphragm mechanism in these lenses that is perfectly timed for those fast shutter opening and closing so that you, you'll nary get uh, a, a shift in exposure as you're shooting at high speed burst which could happen with a lens that's got a, a mechanical diaphragm in it. Mm -hmm, and we've mm -hmm. seen more and more lenses go this way. And so I'm, I'm excited just for that, that they've made this change. And, uh, and it looks good for the future. It really does. I think people just shouldn't get confused when they see the, uh, that letter E. It's not the same letter E that was used about 20 years ago for the cheaper Nikkor right. lenses, the inexpensive right. kit stuff. It's a whole different, yeah. it's a different E. Yeah, luckily it's not all old guys like us that are buying, <laughs> that, that are buying these lenses. You know, you got a, a, whole, a whole crop of people out there that have, that have never seen or used a 90 film camera. 90% of the people who, who, are, who just going to be listening to this saying, what's he talking about? <laughs> Remember, we said, you know what? People always ask me, do you miss shooting film? And there are certain things I do miss. I miss my Kodachrome 200. Mm -hmm. I miss my Kodachrome 64. But you know what I don't miss? I don't miss having 64 ISO in my camera when I needed 800. Yeah. I used yeah, to carry yeah. Sharpies and rubber bands and, and film pullers to retrieve my film leader. Mm -hmm. And then you remember, you'd get to frame 16, you'd got to shift film and from 64 to 400 and you'd roll it back and try not to roll the, the tongue back in there. Oh, yes. Oh, people go, do you miss that? I don't miss anything about it. <laughs> I don't miss anything about it. But I do miss the look of those films if, if there is any something other, about Any it. other lenses to talk about? We came out with a 20 millimeter 1.8, which uh, mm -hmm. I forgot yeah. how much I missed 20 when I started playing with this. That used to be a mainstay in my camera bag, right? I remember the old 20 millimeter lens? I used to love it. And I own the 3.5, the 2.8, the mm -hmm. and they're, they're nice, small, and sweet. Yeah, nice. this lens has got everything going for it, like those did, but that beautiful wide view in the viewfinder, as soon as I put it on the camera, it was like, wow, I forgot what I had missed, yeah. you know? And so I'm enjoying that. Uh, we came out and we have now, arguably, the best series of 1.8 lenses, I think, of any manufacturer out there. 20 millimeter 1.8, 24-1.8, 28-1.8, right? 35, 50, and 85-1.8. That's pretty amazing. So you don't always have to go to 1.4 to get no, that, speed and performance. No, that's come up a lot. And you can, especially for video, remember, I, you know, you hardly get to talk about it. Because I'm a stills guy at heart, you know, but I do some video. But if you're a video shooter, and you want to get some great dramatic cinematic looking images, you got to shoot at that shallow depth of field and you can do it with this entire 1.8 series of lenses, which is very exciting to me. People are always asking me, how do you shoot? And it's, I try to bring the conversation back to them. Yeah. No, tell me what you really want to do. But when it comes down to it, 
the technologies in these cameras that we make has allowed me to change technique so dramatically. For instance, we have a feature called ISO Auto in our cameras. Mm -hmm. And back in the first cameras that had a D70, for instance, it was a very simple feature. You would turn on ISO Auto, it was on or it was off. And what it meant was that if you set a base ISO, let's say 100, and the lighting changed, the camera was free to change other ISOs based on the lighting. Well, that feature today in our cameras is so sophisticated that you can set the maximum ISO you want the camera to go to, you can set the shutter speed at where you want it to shift, or you can have auto or one over the, uh, the focal length rule or two over the focal length rule on a slider within the control itself. So when I'm shooting a camera like a, a DA10, where I know that 36 megapixel resolution, I need to shoot faster. I can't, I've got pretty good skills. I can't hold my DA10, this is me, not you, not anyone else out there, below a 60th of a second in hand holding and get a sharp picture. I just can't do it. So I turn Few on ISO, can, I turn on ISO Auto, uh -huh. and I set it to two over the focal length, and I put a, like a 1.8 lens that we were just talking about on there, and I set my base at 100, and I know the, that I can go up to like 3,200 very comfortably with my DA10, and I let the camera go. What's really cool about the cameras is that they don't just jump from, let's say, 100 to 200 or 100 to 400. They are fluid in their ISO selection. So it might pick from 100 to 117 or 128. Really? I have seen the oh, weirdest wow. numbers on it's my cameras. Yes. yes. And I shoot it at full huh. games. I shoot it in manual mode or I shoot it in aperture priority. And it's changed the way I go about shooting pictures. My exposures are way more consistent than they ever were. And I don't have to think about, oh, you know, I'm shooting into the shadows or I'm shooting into a highlight. I can let the camera choose based on the lighting, just based on how I set the camera. Yeah, it's yeah, a very, yeah, very yeah, cool yeah. idea. And now with D5 and D500, they've added another wrinkle. They can do that with flash now as too. There's oh, ISO wow. auto for flash. And I have so my... really, really cool stuff that they put in there that they've really thought about so here's my to question. help me get better pictures. Is it possible to take a lousy picture with the newest Nikons? Yeah, yeah, you really have to try it, see, as if you're telling me. Trust me, you can take some lousy pictures <laughs> with the camera. But it's, it's awesome that we have this power in our hands to yeah. do this as, 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 uh, as image makers and storytellers. This is the greatest time to be taking pictures. You have it. Good, Good place to end right there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you. And don't forget to tweet us at BHPhotoVideo with the hashtag BHPhotoPodcast. And leave us a review on iTunes and vote for us, most importantly, for Podcast of the Year in the Arts category at www.podcastawards.com. And remember, you can vote every single day through June 12th. My name is Alan Weitz, and as always, thank you so much for joining us today.